Hey guys, welcome to the weekend edition of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. In this episode, Price and I play Christian Right, Price Wrong, where we go over our old takes and pick out which ones we got right, which ones we got wrong, do a little bit of self-analyzing, and then I will be interviewing Lauren Cox from PFF Bears. Hope you guys have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. So um, we're going to do a little bit where we were right, where we were wrong. We're going to kind of go a little bit more quick hitters. You don't need to hear our full breakdown, so we're just going to talk for like few seconds about each one and where we're right, where we're wrong. Um, I'll start off, and this is relevant. Um, I spent all offseason talking about the fact that the Chargers have changed, and I was right about that. The Chargers are different. Brandon Staley coached his ass off this weekend. He went for it on fourth and nine when he could have cooked a field goal to take the lead at the end of the game, and he went for it. Um, They have managed that roster more effectively to be healthy, The scheme is there. The defense is there. They continue to draft well. They're making smart decisions in-game. The little things are not killing them. I feel like the old Chargers, the Anthony Lynn Chargers, would have went into a shell whenever the Chiefs stormed back and took the lead. The Chargers are different. So mine is going to be that the Raiders would lead in the AFC. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, um, my first one is going to be McCall Hardman uh, is is obviously not the wide receiver, too, in Kansas City. Don't want to belabor it too much. It's something that I've been on for the past, I don't know, year and a half. I don't think that he possesses the skills to, to be on the outside. There have been a lot of people that have contradicted me. Obviously, uh, the Chiefs don't believe that either because they just brought in Josh Gordon, somebody who was, has been um, kicked out of the league, I think, the past four seasons. So, obviously, uh, you know, everything isn't good in the wide receiver room and the Chiefs, although I think it will be better with this signing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. I was wrong about Zach Wilson. He was the guy that I pegged as the offensive rookie of the year. I thought that the scheme was going to benefit him. I thought he had a lot of arm talent. And really all this just proves is that the Jets continue to be a dumpster fire. Um, He has really struggled. He is throwing a lot of bad picks um, and just not competitive. And I think one thing that a lot of people have brought up too is that the Jets have not brought in anybody to sit on the sideline with him and try to help him break down the playbook. There is nothing behind him. There's zero reason why they couldn't have brought in Nick Foles. They had Joe Flacco last year. That would have been a perfect person for him to, if not at least start or sit behind, at least go to the bench and talk to. So um, Zach Wilson and frankly, the whole quarterback class from this year is really struggling. I mean, that's for sure. But my, my second one where I was wrong um, was about the Bears, unfortunately. And, and I'm talking to a guy from PFF uh, later in the week, so be ready for that. Um, but, I mean, they've had such a tough start. Not that their start has been a cakewalk by any means. Uh, Bear, or the Rams, Bengals, and Browns, you know. Bengals, they got the win, but, you know, everybody kind of thought that. I, I don't know if it's Matt Nagy. I don't know. Um, if it's Justin Fields, I don't know if it's poor game planning in general from the entire staff, but they have not looked great. And I do think they're a championship caliber team. Um, I just don't think they have it put together yet. And I, I might have missed early, but I, I don't think I was wrong. So, but for at all intents and purposes, I'm basically wrong right now. So Bears are not as good of a team as I thought they were going to be. I was right about Asante Samuel Jr. being a defensive rookie of the year candidate. Through three games, he looks awesome. He had a epic pick off of Patrick Mahomes, even though the ball ricocheted up in the air. 
he is the exact type of player that if you are a betting man that you want to lay your bet on when it comes to those prop bets, like defensive rookie of the year, he plays in a scheme that's going to compliment him. There's lots of talent surrounding him so he can shine. And also interceptions are pretty fluky. All he he's already got, I think he has three or two. Um, you know, he gets three or four more this year. He'll instantly be the, you know, the leading interceptions player for a rookie. And he's not asked to come in and do something that he wasn't already good at. That scheme is very similar to what he played in in college. Asante Samuel Jr. looks great and um, just yet another great pick by the Chargers. Yeah, I, I talked to David Drogemeyer uh, last week, actually, and we were talking about his draft. Incredible draft. I, like Tershawn Wharton, Asante Samuel Jr., that was somebody that we had pegged as a first-round draft pick at cornerback. So an incredible pickup, incredible draft for them. Um, my next one where I was right was about Cortland Sutton being or having a bounce back here. In the past two games, he's had almost 200 yards and, and uh, 17 receptions which is crazy. I mean, like he just exploded onto the scene. He's even going to get more target shares uh, later in the season. I think KJ Hamler tore his ACL or, or something crazy this past yep. game and Jared Judy's on IR. So he's basically the only target outside of Noah Fant. I think he's going to have over a thousand yard season. And I know that's, you know, kind of, it's not really, doesn't really mean as much as it used to considering there's another game on the schedule, but I think that he's a great player and he's proven it so far this year. I was wrong about the AFC East. Um, there will certainly be Bills fans who will go through my old tweets and show me all the times that I said the Patriots were winning the East. Um, most of that was through some of the anti-vax stuff and some of the other things going on with the Bills. But the Bills are, it's not even close. It's not going to be close. The Dolphins do not look good. Um, the Patriots appear to have virtually nothing offensively going um that's the bills division and i honestly don't think it'll be close my next one where i was wrong was about the cardinals i really thought that they were going to be at the bottom of the division i i didn't expect them to or i did expect them to be ahead of seattle uh just because of the lack of preparation and things that they've had so far this year um and and lack of a draft and, and new additions on the team but the cardinals have played extremely well i mean like kyler murray is like an early mvp candidate he played incredible for my fantasy team. Thank you, Price, for that uh, before we did our buy-in draft. It uh, definitely helped me out. But, yeah, uh, the Cardinals are legit. I really like their team. I think that they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Rams. I don't know if they'll win, but it'll be a close game when they play. I was right about the Bengals needing to take a Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. There was a big debate about that. The last time you saw Joe Burrow, he was on the ground clinching his ACL that had just been torn. Um, and a lot of people, there's like this cartoon that was going around about, oh, Jamar Chase is open, but Joe Burrow cannot throw him the ball because he's being sacked in three seconds. Look, Panay Sewell is going to be a good player, and I think he looks really good on the left side for Detroit. But ultimately, there is no position that impacts the game more than quarterback than wide receiver. The connection between Chase and Burrow is obvious, and he looked dreadful in training camp and preseason, and I was starting to question that, but that was 100% the right pick for the Bengals to make, and I think they've got their duo that's going to set them up for a long time, and look at them. They're already, you know, they beat the they beat the Steelers. I think that that win meant a lot more than just the W on the scorecard, um, so taking Chase over Sewell was the right move there. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and the next one I was right about was Dallas leading the division. Um, they're facing the Eagles right now. They're up 14-7. I think they are clearly the best team in the division. Uh, I believe they're the NFC East. Um, but yeah, played really, really well. Uh, their offense looks as explosive as ever. Dak's still a little hobbled, but you know Tony Pollard and Zeke are coming back, helping them out. The offensive line looks great, even with their backups that are in right now. Um, they they're going to be a really good team, and I can't wait to face them later in the season. As a Chiefs fan, I think that they'll play extremely well. So, on a side note, the over under for some of these Chiefs games, if the defense doesn't improve, is going to be comical. They've got the Rodgers Packers who can score just about as good as anyone, and their defense is awful. They've got the Cowboys, and their defense is not much, and their offense is epic. And the Bills kind of fell under that too, where the defense is decent, but the offensive dominant. I mean, I don't know if there's a number big. I mean, 100 would be like, okay, like, yeah, I'm not going to bet that, but put it in the 60s, baby. I Like, I remember the over-under for the Rams-Chiefs game in 2018 was like, 56 and a half and they yeah. smashed it before it was like it was like 10 minutes or like 10 physical minutes not game minutes into the third quarter and the over already hit and that was like the ticket i was holding i was like i don't even care at this point <laughs> like like you knew that they were gonna hit it like you just knew um uh, okay so my last one and this one actually goes back a little bit so uh this one i need to confess to I laughed at the Cowboys for trading for Amari Cooper. I thought that was a terrible deal. Amari Cooper had struggled in Oakland at the time. He had lots of drops, just was not wide receiver one material. And I laughed at the Cowboys for trading a first round pick. And since going to the Cowboys, he has been borderline an elite wide receiver, a fantastic route runner, and has provided a lot of stability to that offense. Because at the time, you remember, they had moved on from Dez. The offense was just basically Zeke and Dak. There was nothing going for them offensively. And now adding Cooper has made the additions of Lamb and um, Gallup just even more gravy on top and allows them to move on from a player like Gallup, who will almost certainly go to free agency next year. So I thought, you know, at the time I laughed at that trade, thought it was a joke, thought it was bad practice by them to be trading a first round pick for a player like Cooper but, um, you know, he's, he's really proven to be a worthwhile pick or a worthwhile move. So my last one uh, where I was wrong was taking Nick Bolton in the second. Now, I did think that he was a pretty good player, but I didn't really think he fit the scheme. Um, Nick Bolton has been a very up and down player. And, and one of the things that he struggled in is coverage. I don't think he'll be asked uh, to do that as much once he takes Anthony Hitchens spot. I think that he's played as well as you could expect Anthony Hitchens to play um, the sort of coverage linebacker role as a rookie, which is insane. Like you're talking about a guy that was not in a, in a very, uh, he didn't go to Clemson. He didn't go to Oklahoma. He, he went to Mizzou, which is a, is a lower tier uh, college. Sorry. That's a, <clears throat> I'll have to forgive myself later for that one, but uh, yeah, well, I, think I mean, he played... clearly he was the salt of the earth for Mizzou. Look at the defense now. They make the Chiefs defense look good. So yeah, clearly Nick yeah. Bolton was the reason why they suck now. Yeah, don't remind me. Um, but yeah, I think he's played really, 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 really well. I think when he comes in and plays uh, the Anthony Hitchens role, either at the end of this year or or next year, I think that he'll be outstanding. 
outstanding. I think he'll be an upgrade for less money at a position of need and one of the most important positions on the defense. So, yeah, as a friend of the podcast, Preston tweeted at us about Nick Bolton um, taking a victory lap about Nick Bolton being a good run fit as he tackled a player who was already wrapped up by luxurious need uh, for a three yard gain. Um, you know, Nick Bolton is Reggie Ragland taken still too early. Reggie Ragland, as noted, was drafted in the first round, but was also traded from the team that drafted him. It was a worthwhile pick uh, move for the Chiefs to trade for him, but they did not trade a first-round pick for Reggie Ragland. Players like Nick Bolton have a place in the NFL. The problem is, is that their place in the NFL is not very prominent and ever declining. Taking him in the second is bad practice. They could have gotten something very similar from other players, um, and there were, frankly, other needs that were more important on the board. So uh, I agree. The Nick Bolton mystique continues to mystify me on a, on a weekly basis on how a player who makes so little impact in the game on a defense that's playing so poorly is still believed to be this dominant player that everyone wants it. But hey, it ain't bad work if you can get it. If you can, like, if I could do my job as poorly as Nick Bolton, but then just get complimented the one time I do something right, I would, I would take it for sure. Well, I think he's got a lot of leeway considering he's a rookie and, you know, really he just kind of stepped into an extremely complicated defense. Now I think he'll play a lot better. Like I said, once he gets into the role, he's I think designed for that Brashad Perriman type of role. Um, but yeah, I think that he'll play a lot better next year. He's been yeah, okay. And I mean, though. we can hope that once Willie Gay comes back, he'll be used in a better role. Nick Bolton, it is that he really could start making some good plays because put in the right position, like I said, I think he would be a great guy to rush the passer. Again, going back to how Spags changed the defense in 2018 to evolve or 2019 to evolve. Um, Reggie, Reggie Ragland was a, a run stuffer and he also rushed the passer some. So I would like to see that from Nick Bolton. And if they can use Willie Gay and Anthony Hitchens more effectively, I think there is a scenario where we start seeing actually Nick Bolton making good contributions. But at this point, the negatives are far more than the positives. Absolutely. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. I'm here with Lauren Cox from PFF Bears and the Locked On Podcast Network. How's it going, man? How you been? today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. And for all of our listeners here, uh, the Bears have been kind of my crush team for this this past year. I mean, I obviously I love the Chiefs. This is a Chiefs centered podcast. But for some reason, the Bears, especially in this past couple of years, have really caught my eye as a team that is like so close to contention. Um, and, and I just love feeling, you know what, maybe I'm just a, a, a tortured Chiefs fans here. Uh, you know, in search of the the days of old where we didn't have Patrick Mahomes. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll just go right into this and we'll see how it goes. Well, you was gonna say when when you said you're having a crush or like crushing on the Bears a little bit, I my first thought was I'm sorry to hear that. Like, <laughs> the tortured Chiefs fan, I was like, are you tortured with Patrick Mahomes? What are you talking about? You guys, you guys don't know torture over there. No, I I must just be self loathing because I want to feel like. Oh, man, I, you know, just those glory days of the Chiefs, glory days in quotes here, uh, where we didn't have Patrick Mahomes. I kind of like the struggle. But anyway, so once again, as as our listeners know, I, I grew up in kind of a small town. I have uh, it, and I had sort of a, a city, I don't know, city mentality, I guess, is the best way of putting it. And that, that's caused a little bit of, uh, of friction 
um, you know, going about my daily lives. And, and you should know that better than anyone, seeing as you live in Wisconsin and you're a Bears fan. How, how have you survived this long? And, you know, how, how did you get to become a Bears fan in the first place? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's, it's not something I, I hide in any active way, shape, or form, but not a lot of people pay close enough attention to do the quick math to figure out that I do live in the state of Wisconsin and not in Illinois. But uh, I like, I don't think the majority of like people that follow me on Twitter or, or listen to the podcast actually have put that together, but no, you know, I was, I was technically, I was born in Illinois just across the state line, but we moved to Wisconsin when I was young. So it doesn't, doesn't really count, but um, yeah, it just, you know, I, I kind of came up in age football wise to reveal how old I am. Uh, when I really started getting into the sport was Devin Hester's rookie season. I would have been, uh, you know, in elementary school, I don't know if he's that great off the top of my head. And so, you, you know, you kind of gravitate towards maybe the the most exciting player in the sport at that time. And I think Green Bay was on the tail end of the Brett Favre years. And I, I don't know, I never really, never Brett, the Brett Favre thing never really latched on for me. So it was much easier to gravitate toward a, a really strong defense and Devin Hester kind of doing things a little bit less conventionally. And uh, there was some, some of that loving misery too, in terms of uh, quarterback ineptitude for my whole life. Well, you know, that kind of parallels so, so well with my, you know, taking on of the sport, you know, a, a really good player, special teams guy, Dante Hall and poor quarterback play. I mean, yeah, it, almost the same teams. So let's just go ahead and get into talking about your off season you guys had a really good draft. I really, really, really love the draft. I think the Bears did something that they don't necessarily do too often. And, and they traded up and they got their guy in Justin Fields. Also, Tevin Jenkins in the second round. He was a guy that I was looking at us drafting at 31 um, before the, you know, the Orlando Brown trade happened. And then even going down further, Larry Borum. I'm actually a student at Mizzou right now. So Larry Borum, offensive tackle. I really liked him. Um, and then even Khalil Herbert in the sixth. I mean, you guys just really smashed this draft out of the park. H how do you guys feel about it? Do you feel like it was it was a really productive draft for you? Or th is there anybody that you wish you kind of got uh, that you missed out on? Anything like that? Yeah, obviously, Justin Fields kind of takes the cake. I mean, it, kind of outside of our wildest imaginations of, of what we were expecting to happen on draft night. You know, it was like Mac Jones or... Maybe you trade back or in the second round, you take Kellen Mond or, you know, we're, we're sort of expecting the latest in a long line of, of mediocre quarterbacks. And so to, to trade up for Justin Fields and only give up like one future first round pick and not feel like you had to mortgage your entire future felt like a win. And then pretty much everything else that was going to happen after that on draft night, not that it didn't matter, but it, it wasn't, wasn't going to sway the way Bears fans were feeling about how that played out. So then did land Jenkins too felt like just a dream come true. And then that it was kind of felt like it was going to be a two person draft, right? You get two top 40 picks and then you don't pick again until I think they ended up trading at some point in there, but 151 is where they took Larry Borum. And you try not to expect a lot from fifth and then three, six round picks and a seventh round pick after that, you know, those are all great swings for the fences. Sure. And, and so far there's some things to be encouraged about by a few of them panning out potentially, but it's all about fields and Tevin Jenkins. The problem is now two of their first three draft picks are on injured reserve and they're both offensive tackles, Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum, both on at least short-term injured reserve with injuries that they suffered here. Uh, Jenkins in the preseason, sort of a back thing that had been lingering for him. And then Larry Borum just two weeks ago against the Rams suffered an injury as well. That's going to keep him out for a little while. So we're, we're not getting to see, a lot of the rookie class and finally we're getting Justin Fields and that's making up for it a little bit, but definitely the longer term outlook with those guys, uh, very bright. Oh yeah. And, and could you go into a little bit how they looked in the like preseason 
and the, uh, I guess their off season practices and stuff like that, because I know there are a lot of picks that we had this year that we, you know, felt really, really good about. And they came, came in and then, you know, some of them underperformed, some of them way overperformed. I mean, you see our sixth round draft pick, Trey Smith, tearing it up on the offensive line. Like, were there any picks that sort of surprised you in that way? So we never really got to see Tevin Jenkins. I don't think he practiced a single time at training camp. He might've come back briefly before they went and opted for the back surgery. So we never really got the full hype experience there. Obviously, I mean, I don't mean to skip over Justin Fields, but I mean, he was lighting it up and everybody was in love and it was, you know, the next, the next great thing. And all, all of the controversy, the quarterback controversy that sort of follows that way, as expected, Justin Fields played really, really well. Larry Borum was an interesting one because, you know, he played right tackle at Missouri and I think he played a little bit of guard at some point. And, and it was sort of a question of where exactly was he going to fit in the NFL? He's a little bit bigger and maybe a little bit slower and maybe you move him inside, but instead the bears moved him to left tackle because of all the injuries they had there. And he filled in as a backup left tackle in week one before he got hurt and he slimmed down a little bit. And he's been kind of a, a pleasant surprise there. I mean, we had decent expectations for him given the, the pedigree that he came in with. I think the bears said, they had like a second or third round grade on him and felt super great to get him in the fifth round. So a, a lot of long-term encouragement there. The, the rest of the guys, you know, there was a, a occasional flash from the cornerback, Thomas Graham and Daz Newsom and Khalil Herbert were, were always involved on special teams, but not really flashing a lot on offense. And, and the big guy, Tyrus, Tyrus Tonga, the nose tackle from BYU in the seventh round, he's, I mean, he's, he's big, he takes up space, but they don't have a lot of defensive line depth. So he's got some time there, but it hasn't really been, huge flashes from, from anybody outside of Justin Fields and a little bit of the offensive line. Well, that's actually very interesting. We, we can go ahead and uh, get into the defensive aspect of your team as well, since we're already here. Um, so you guys had a little bit of a change, a little changing of the guard, I guess, is the best way to describe it. Um, and, you know, as a Chiefs fan, relating this back to the Chiefs, our uh, defensive coordinator was fired instead of left because he was so incredibly talented. How do you feel about your new defensive coordinator Sean Desai is that is that how it's pronounced yeah it's so uh, hopes are very high he's sort of the the wonderkind right the the young quote-unquote I don't know genius is a strong word but he's got like a couple of PhDs and he was a professor at Rutgers or something I mean he's academic through and through in addition to I think he played college football and he's been coaching college football for quite some time but he's got some really impressive sort of uh you know credentials in that regard in terms of being an actual like literal teacher and not even a teacher of football players but an actual like educator at higher education so he he had joined the Bears organization I think in 2013 and has been with the team for like the last seven years he's like the most tenured coach on the team he survived three head coaches and two different general managers that just kept bringing them back as a offense or you know, a quality control coach. And then a defensive assistant and then a secondary coach and worked his way all the way up to be defensive coordinator. And the, the feeling around his hire was that he is supposed to get this defense back more into the style of Vic Fangio in terms of more too deep coverages playing a little bit off and, and being willing to allow some of the easy completions underneath, knowing that that's not really sustainable offense. And it's, it's lighter boxes. It's kind of daring the defense to run and just making sure that you're not going to give up any big plays over the top. And you're going to let your safeties then that are on the back end be aggressive and come down and try and make some turnovers. So it's been mixed results so far, two weeks in the season. It's not a, 
a referendum on whether he's a good defensive coordinator or not, but they have some very, very clear weaknesses at the slot cornerback position and the safeties have been weirdly kind of off and the pass rush has still kind of been hit and miss, but he's, he has been getting more creative with Khalil Mack lining him up at inside linebacker and even in the slot and different spots of the defensive line, pairing him up with Robert Quinn next to each other and stunting and twisting off the edge. So there's, there's signs of encouragement there, but definitely still young and, and learning the role as he goes along. So we're going to try not to judge him too hard just yet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and that's one of the things that we've had to do uh, over here in Kansas City, especially with a new defensive coordinator that's supposed to turn around and completely change everything. Like the expectations of him were were so incredibly high that now even two games into the season this year, his, his third year, people are saying that we need to get rid of him. Kind of going along with that, um, with your incredible draft, with Justin Fields now at the helm of the defense or the offense, excuse me. Um, what are your expectations for this season? Where do you see this team going? Because before this season, being very, very high on the Bears, I saw them with Justin Fields coming in, taking the starting spot from Andy Dalton, the left tackle now being Tevin Jenkins and, and locking down that side of the field. Where, where do you guys kind of see yourselves being at the end of the year? And, and what are your expectations moving forward? Yeah, the return of Aaron Rodgers at the end there kind of threw the NFC North plans a little bit in, in, the, in the wind for us because that, that would have opened up the doors a little bit more. But, you know, this team still has some, some very real flaws. And the question is how much can Justin Fields overcome and sort of, you know, shadow, cover up a little bit. And, you know, that idea of a quarterback being able to elevate the level of play of players around him. And it's certainly not expect it's not fair to expect that from fields in his first couple of games, but given how early he's getting in the action, you know, if you can work out some of the kinks along the way and get him a little bit more comfortable after three, four, five games and kind of hit that rhythm, you know, then, then we start to get in that playoff conversation for me. I mean, I think with, with the Andy Dalton plan that they were operating on, I'm, I was more in the, you know, seven, eight, maybe nine wins, but probably not a playoff team type situation there. I think fields can be enough to, to, can be has the potential to be enough to push them into that 10 and that double digit range. It'll depend a little bit on how the Vikings end up bouncing back and whether or not they're any good. Cause it's always hard to tell what those two matchups are going to bring, especially when it's late in the season like this, but still very, very real offensive line concerns, still very, very real secondary concerns. I have some questions about the non Roquan Smith linebackers and, and just Matt Nagy in general, there's, there's this uneasiness where it's, it, you're never quite sure if he's really actually on top of it like is he a good play caller has he just been held back by Mitch Trubisky and and poor surrounding talents and will just I mean Justin Fields will really be sort of the the verdict right it's that if Matt Nagy can't make it work with this quarterback then he's for sure not gonna be able to make it work and that's it that's sort of the evaluation that we're doing along the way here as we as we see Justin Fields develop is we're also checking in on, all right, does, does, does the Mitch Trubisky excuse pan out for Matt Nagy here? Or are there some real issues with, you know, play to play and drive to drive play calling to where, you know, just the natural feel of the game and knowing when to go to the running game and when to abandon it and, you know, building play action off the running game and all the little minutia of like just sometimes questionable decisions within an actual game that you just, you just question it a little bit more and more each time. And now the way he's kind of handling this, Justin Fields, Andy Dalton thing where Dalton is still the starter when healthy, even though they're starting fields this week. It just, it, there's been enough of those over the last, what, three, three seasons now where there's some, there's some real question about the long-term stability at head coach. I'm glad you brought up the Justin Fields thing because, you know, as a, 
uh, as a person in sports media, I think it's important that if I have a Bears guy on, we have to talk about this, right? So it's it's been like a national news story. It's even been on the KCTV5 News, our home network here in Kansas City, uh, about Matt Nagy and how he's progressing with this Justin Fields thing. Uh, how do you feel that he's handled that so far? Because to me, at least as an outsider looking in, there, there seems to be a lot of like indecision and and not necessarily, I don't want to say like not thinking it through, but just, just some questionable decision-making with that, especially because the Bears don't have any loyalty to Andy Dalton. This is his first year there. It, it doesn't make any sense to me uh, why they wouldn't have already started Justin Fields, uh, even in week two. Is, is there, is, you know, my line of thinking there uh, correct or, or is there some things that I'm missing? There's definitely, so like your line of thinking there is correct. And the problem is there are things that are missing and that's the point, right? It's not that you're missing. It's that there, there are missing answers in there that they, they signed Andy Dalton first. And when they signed Andy Dalton, they told him he was going to be their starting quarterback for week one. And I mean, that's about as far as you guarantee him, but still the, the idea is that, well, I mean, if he doesn't completely, you know, crap his pants in week one, he'll probably get another opportunity. I mean, if he just totally blew it, then you start to talk about the benching. But so you know, he's going to get some amount of run up after the start of the regular season. But given how well Justin Fields has progressed and how every single coach and every single teammate raves about the wonderful things and the wow throws he's making at practice and how special he already looks and all the, I mean, all these, all the hype that comes with that, it, it really loses a lot of the, logical following there. The Bears have said from the start, they have a plan. They have contingencies. They've worked through different scenarios, including if Andy Dalton gets hurt, how they want to handle that. So they said, you know, that there has been a sort of a, a rhyme and reason to it. It's just, has it felt like the rhyme and reason that puts winning football games as the number one priority there? And that's, that's what's so head scratching about it. I mean, for, from a loyalty standpoint, the Bears offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor was Andy Dalton's offensive coordinator for two or three seasons in Cincinnati. So they do have, the connection there and, you know, sort of the friendliness and the, you know, you want to stay, stick to your word so that when you promise future free agents, things, you know, you want them to be able to believe you. They can't say, well, you promised Andy Dalton, he would be the starter. And then you benched him before the season started or benched him after one game. How, how can I trust you that what you're promising me as the next free agent is, is going to be true. So I, I get that there's some, some politics to that too, but this injury was the open door to throw all that out the window and say, you know what? Andy's hurt. Justin's our guy moving forward. We're making the change now. And so it's the, the real head scratcher is then saying Andy is still our starter when healthy. Why, why going back, at least saying you'll go back and, and why even making that drama more, more dramatic, more just controversial than it needs to be. See, and that, that really brings me into, to this other way of thinking where it's like the, uh, the Patrick Mahomes, for some reason, I'm drawing a blank on Alex Smith, uh, that that whole dynamic that was there as well. Obviously, this is a little bit different, but I, I really think that Justin Fields does have an opportunity here to take over that starting role and, and never get it back. But there's also this narrative that's going around that uh, he hasn't looked good in practice. And from everything that I've seen, everything that I've read, that's just hogwash. I don't, I don't believe any of that, especially since he was maybe one of the top two or three quarterbacks coming out of college this past year. Yeah, I think by all indications, the, the practices have been the strong parts. But I mean, you know, last week against the Bengals, he threw an interception and was strip sacked in the pocket and had a couple of false starts that were like him moving before the ball was snapped. I mean, false starts on the quarterback that, you know, you don't typically see from veteran quarterbacks. And they're all sort of rookie mistakes. And 
you know, and Andy Dalton played pretty well in the first quarter. And before he got hurt, he led a nice touchdown drive and made a couple of fairly impressive throws there. So you can, you can find some reasons as to why, I mean, I've seen bears fans say, Oh, Fields doesn't look ready. Let's get Dalton back in there as soon as we can and give fields more time on the bench. I, I, I understand it, even if I, I don't agree with it. Cause I, I really think we saw the peak of Andy Dalton in that Bengals game. And there's a very real ceiling there and you can win seven, eight, nine games, maybe with, with that Andy Dalton, if the supporting cast is good enough, but the idea is, I mean, it's pretty clear that Justin Fields should and can be so much more than that as he develops in his career. So why not get some of those rookie mistakes out now? Why not sort of, you know, suffer the, the downs, you know, and then the learning curve now early in the season while you can withstand it a little bit more. And then by the end of the year, in theory, he could be a little bit more fine tuned and, and make that potential push for the playoffs. If you're still, you know, still in the mix there. So it, as much as they they wanted to follow the Patrick Mahomes Alex Smith model, that was what Matt Nagy kept saying they wanted to do. It just doesn't feel like it, you know, that Andy Dalton is not Alex Smith, and and honestly, Justin Fields is not Patrick Mahomes. And when you look at even that season for the Chiefs, as I'm sure you well know, I've heard people say too that well, if they had started Patrick Mahomes earlier in that season, maybe they beat the Titans in that playoff game, and they don't have the first round exit. You know what I mean? Like maybe the Chiefs' strategy wasn't perfect it worked it worked but maybe it wasn't the perfect ideal strategy and maybe there's something in between here like Andy Dalton getting hurt and starting Justin Fields the rest of the season might be forcing the Bears to take what could ultimately be a better path for everyone oh yeah absolutely um so I'll talk about one more thing and then we'll get you out of here I don't want to take up too much of your night but can we both just collectively hate on the Raiders for a second because they tried to trade back for Khalil Mack is that ridiculous to you at all because that just seems like such a Raiders move, right? It definitely seems like a dumb, I mean, to have given up all the assets, or I guess, you know, to have, to have given up on the asset that that Fields, that Mac was, and to sort of kick the can on that one, a, a premier pass rusher is primed. And then, you know, now, what, three years later, he, he's now a 30-year-old pass rusher to try and bring him back. It definitely strikes me as like, dumb, dumb Raiders thinking that they, I mean, they gave it away and they'd be sort of paying the premium twice. You know, from a Bears perspective, if if I wanted to blow things up and kind of restart with Justin Fields a little bit, say, you know, you end up firing your head coach and your general manager this offseason, if, if for whatever reason things don't pan out well this year, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hate the Khalil Mack trade just to get out of the salary cap. And this might be a, a controversial take from a Bears perspective because I think Bears fans love Khalil Mack. I mean, there's there's a perception that he's – washed a little bit and that he he, had, he hasn't been making as many of like the game-changing you know big strip sack in the fourth quarter when you really need one kind of thing but he's still getting pressure he's not getting as many sacks as he used to and he's still impacting opposing offensive game plans and that's what's important they still give two three blockers to him as much as possible and it really does dictate what opposing offenses want to do and he's he's almost getting underappreciated in that regard in Chicago but from from a salary cap standpoint and team building standpoint if I'm going to fire my head coach and GM, maybe I call the Raiders again this offseason. I wouldn't have done it this past year because they still have to compete and try and save their jobs. But if 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 we're thinking more long term, I can come around on the Bears maybe wanting to shed that salary and just going younger and, and recognizing that it's not going to help you win more games trading Khalil Mack. But you could add some more draft picks and build more of a younger core for more of a long term thing. I I could see it from a Bears perspective, but it just it, it's absolutely horrible asset management from the Raiders to have given that up and then to try and get it back and have to pay another premium. See, I absolutely love that take. And, and I don't think a lot of bears fans would, uh, but yes, dude, I, I am a hundred percent behind doing basically what the dolphins did, right? Like they, they had a pretty good team. 
it wasn't great, but then they started trading like the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. I think for a lot of Dolphins fans was like out there, like, oh, he's one of our best secondary players and we're just going to get rid of him for two first round draft picks or, or however many he was. And it helped him out in the long run. And I think that if you're going to rebuild, that is absolutely the way to do it. And you know what? Maybe you could have fleeced the Raiders. That 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 absolutely could have been a possibility and it still could be. Um, but anyway, so thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. Anytime. If you'd like to listen to more of Lauren's content, you can follow him on Twitter at Cox Sports One, at PFF underscore Bears, or at Locked on Bears.